the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Go pestfree.com. The following program is sponsored Ruth Incorporated. Today on Know the Truth, Philip DeCourcy begins a new series on grace. You see, the good news is the good news because of the bad news. We're lost, doomed by sin. That's the bad news. But the good news is that God has loved us with a great love, and he's willing to forgive our sin and bring us from death to life and from earth to heaven. That's the good news. And it wouldn't be good news if it wasn't for the bad news. Happy New Year and welcome to Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy. Whether you had a great 2018 or a challenging one, we're here to start out 2019 with our minds fixed on God's grace. Because it's God's grace that covers us in good times and bad, now and throughout eternity. Today, Philip is showing us that the grace found in Jesus Christ is deep and wide, and that believers' lives are marked by total grace. To start off this new series, here's Philip with a message titled, A New Beginning. In recent days, I've been reading a tremendous book called Grace-Focused Optimism. The author is a man by the name of C.L. Chase. And then he says this, Too many Christians understand grace as nothing more than forgiveness. Forgiveness is glorious. It's foundational. But it's only one masterpiece hanging next to many others in the grace gallery. You betray a serious misunderstanding of grace if you don't see that. And many don't see it. I know I didn't for a long time. He goes on, Imagine someone visiting a famous art gallery, exhibiting the world's 100 greatest paintings. On one wall, you have Leonardo's Mona Lisa and The Last Supper, and Michelangelo's Universal Judgment. On another wall, you have Dali's Persistence of Memory and Von Gogh's Starry Night. On and on it goes, as everywhere this patron turns, an artistic burning bush beckons. But he doesn't turn. He stares and sits at only one of the paintings, as if there's only one wall and only one painting. And the patron does this again and again, day after day. I was that patron. I visited the Grace Gallery and sat before its forgiveness masterpiece as if it were the only painting hanging. I knew I was forgiven, justified to use the theological word, and that exhausted my grasp of grace. Because of my limited understanding, grace didn't amaze me. It didn't inspire me. It didn't make me optimistic about God in everyday living. That is a good and a great insight that as Christians, we're 
always in danger of limiting our understanding of God's grace to the front end of our Christian life. Forgiveness. Salvation by grace. But this writer wants to remind us that from beginning to end, the Christian life is a message, a miracle, and a movement of grace. Doesn't John say in John 1 verse 16, of His fullness, speaking of Christ, we have all received grace after grace after grace? It's not just saving grace. There's serving grace and singing grace and strengthening grace. You and I live, move, and have our being in grace. Grace is more than a push. It's more than something that gets us started. It is the all-encompassing, inclusive, and all-sufficient activity of God on our behalf, whereby He, in His goodness and mercy, lands us someday in His house forever. God's grace is amazing, but it is abounding. It's the most basic Christian tenant and truth. What the sun is to the day, what the moon is to the night, grace is to Christianity. Think about this. It's at the center of it. It's at the circumference of it. And it's all things in between. The God we serve, the God we worship, is described in 1 Peter 5 verse 10 as the God of all grace. In Jesus Christ, the grace of God appeared, bringing salvation to all men. Titus 2 verse 11. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of grace according to Zechariah 12, verse 10. The Word of God, the Holy Scriptures, is a word of grace. Acts 20, verse 32. When you and I pray, we come to a throne of grace where we may receive mercy and grace to help us in a time of need. Hebrews 4, 16. We're forgiven. We're redeemed. We're saved according to the riches of God's grace, Ephesians 1 verse 7. Not only are we given the gift of eternal life, we are given gifts and enablements to serve God, and they are described in 1 Peter 4 verse 10 as the varied grace of God. Listen, from top to bottom, the Christian life is a movement of grace. Doesn't Paul say in Romans 6 verse 14 that we live under grace? doesn't he say in Romans 5, 1 to 2, we stand in grace. So here's the newsflash. Grace is more than forgiveness. There's a whole gallery of graces. It's great to look at the forgiveness portrait, but you've got to move on. Grace is the totality of the Christian life. That's why I've called the series Total Grace. Because when your life is written, and when my life is written, and someday we enjoy the unending story of heaven itself, it's all about total grace. In fact, I believe, and that's why I've started this series, that the work of God and the worship of God in our day needs to have a new and renewed awareness of the grace of God what it really is. We need to put amazing back in to our use of grace. Our understanding of grace is malnourished. Grace is not a leg up in the Christian life. It is the Christian life. It's the grace of God that will save. It's the grace of God that will keep. 
It's the grace of God that will land us someday in heaven. Paul says what in 1 Corinthians 15, 10? I am what I am by the grace of God. That's my story. And that's all our stories. The shoreline of our lives are lapped every day by wave after wave after wave of God's grace. And we're going to see that. In fact, before we're done, we're going to consider today saving grace out of Ephesians 2, serving grace out of Romans 12, sacrificing grace out of 2 Corinthians 8, suffering grace out of 2 Corinthians 12, singing grace out of Colossians 3, speaking grace out of Colossians 4, strengthening grace out of Hebrews 4, which we'll look at next time, and schooling grace out of Titus 2. That's the grace gallery. And we've got to move on and come to understand that the Christian life is a matter of total grace, that God can make all grace abound to us in all things. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 8. When I speak about saving grace, a message I've called a new beginning. I can't think of a better passage to address that issue than Ephesians 2 verses 1 to 10. In fact, in this very passage, Paul addresses the issue of saving grace. Look at verse 5. Even when we were dead in trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you are saved. Scroll down to verse 8. You know it well. For by grace... God's unmerited favor, God's undue kindness. For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. Do you realize it's a gift? Now let me put the text in its context. This passage bumps up against the former passage, which is Paul praying for the Ephesians. And if you go to his prayer in chapter 1, which brings us to chapter 2, you'll see that he mentions God's mighty power put on display in the raising of Jesus from the dead. And how Christ has triumphed over principalities and powers. And then he prays that God's power displayed in Christ's resurrection would be at work in them. And so is it any surprise when we get to chapter 2, that he talks about that resurrection power at work in them. For the same power that raised Jesus from the dead has made us alive, who were once dead in our sins. We've been raised up with Christ. We're seated with Christ in the heavenlies. The same power and the same work of God that brought Jesus from death to life and from earth to heaven will do that in our lives. And so Paul talks about it here. So let's look at this passage. There are three things I want to say. If you're taking notes, the need of grace, verses 1 through 3. The nature of grace, verses 4 through 9. And what I call the narrative of grace, verse 10. So let's begin with the need of grace. The text is apparent. It's plain. It's for everyone to see that you and I are in deep need of God's unmerited favor and undue kindness. Because we're dead in our sin. We're dominated by our sin. And unrepentant, we're doomed by our sin. That's our condition by nature. John Stott says that Paul first plums the depths of pessimism about man, and then he rises to the heights of optimism about God. 
So he begins with the need of grace, or the need for grace. You see, the good news is the good news because of the bad news. It's good news, the gospel, because of the bad news. We're lost. We're dead in sin, dominated by sin, doomed by sin. That's the bad news. But the good news is that God has loved us with a great love, and He's willing to forgive our sin and bring us from death to life and from earth to heaven. That's the good news. And it wouldn't be good news if it wasn't for the bad news. This kind of came home to me in a humorous manner. A few years ago, I had the privilege of preaching in the evening service in the pulpit of my friend and mentor, John MacArthur at Grace Community. And I preached a message from my series on Joseph here at Kindred. And the message was called, It's Not As Bad As You Think. It was based on Genesis 50, verse 20, that what men mean for evil, God means for good. So life is never as bad as you think. But what I didn't know was in the morning service, my friend Phil Johnson who's an elder at Grace, now director at Grace to you, had preached a message entitled, The Bad News and the Good News. And he had preached on hell. That's the bad news. You and I are children of wrath. We're destined for hell apart from the gospel. That's the bad news and the good news. And I didn't know that, so you've got to understand what happened that day. In the morning, he preached a message, The Bad News and the Good News, and at night I preached, It's Not As Bad As You Think. In fact, he poked his head into an elder's prayer meeting, and he said, thank you, Philip. <laughs> we had a chuckle, but it is bad. It's worse than we think. But the good news is the good news because of the bad news. In fact, grace, think about this, grace will never be amazing until you understand your desperate condition. The better you think yourself to be, the less you'll perceive your need of grace. You can only say, amazing grace, how sweet the sound, when you're also able to say that sea of day wretch like me. I'm a sinner. I'm dead. I'm dominated. And I'm doomed. That's what we're going to look at here for a few minutes. Dead, dominated, doomed. Because it's all here. Look at what Paul says. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. The natural born man or woman is born physically alive but spiritually dead. Every man and woman and child in this world are the walking dead. They're physically alive. But they're dead spiritually. They're spiritual zombies. That's what Paul is saying here. He says it twice. You're dead in trespasses and sins. You're dead in trespasses. Verse 5. There's no divine spark within. It's lights out when it comes to our relationship with God. We were born in sin. We were shaping in iniquity. The wages of sin is death. Now, ultimately, that's true even physically, but at the beginning of life, it's absolutely true spiritually. We're born alienated from the life of God, Ephesians 4, 18 to 19. Listen to that. We are born, because of our natural state, because of our connection to Adam, we're born alienated from the life of God. We're not His child. He's not our Father. In fact, to help us understand the meaning of this, you need to kind of get the idea of separation, alienation. Because physically, the Bible describes death as separation. When someone dies physically, their body ceases to function and we bury it. But their spirit goes to be with God. 
until that body is resurrected in the resurrection. And that's what death is. It's separation. It's physical death. is the separation of the spirit from the body. Spiritual death is separation of the spirit of man from the soul of God. Man is born alienated from the life of God, separated from God. And so you just need to understand, according to the Bible, this is the coroner's report on your life. You're dead spiritually. You don't have a relationship with God. You're not on the right side of God. You're alienated from the life of God. Mankind is not healthy. It's not even sick. It's dead, spiritually speaking. And you know what? If that's true, and according to the Word of God, it is true. If someone's dead, they need a resurrection. That's the only remedy for death, resurrection. And that's exactly the language that's used here. That's exactly the language that conveys what Christ does in a life dedicated and given to him. He makes that life alive that was once dead. He uses the phrase in John 3, 3 and 5, you must be born again. You know what? You've had one birth. It's natural. It brought physical life. But you need a second birth that's supernatural that will bring spiritual life. To be born once is to die twice. To be born twice is to die once, as the old preachers used to say. So I just want you to understand that the good news is the good news because of the bad news. The good news is Jesus can make you alive. The bad news is right now, apart from Jesus Christ, you're dead. Separated from God, alienated from his life. And if that stays the case, you will be separated at physical death from God forever in hell where you have been served his just judgment. We're dead. Now, let me say this just by way of footnote before moving on, that all sinners are dead. The only difference is the state of decomposition. All right? Some sinners look more like sinners than other sinners. But we're all sinners. We're all dead. It's just an issue of decomposition. On the physical side of things, you know what? The mortuary can do a great job at dressing up death. You know, we've all had that awkward moment viewing the corpse when someone says, you know, he, he's looking good, isn't he? Well, what do you say? Yeah, but he's dead. We tend to dress death up. And the Bible even would warn us, don't be doing that. You can do that when you look out. There's various states of decomposition. Some sinners, their sin is apparent and ugly and flagrant and undeniable. And they know it and they are first to admit it. And then there's others who dress themselves up a little bit with a covering of religiosity or a smearing of what is socially acceptable. I just want you to know from God's eyes, the coroner's report saying you're dead, dressed up or not. You're in a state of decomposition spiritually. You need saved. You need a resurrection. You need to be made alive. Dead, dominated, dominated, The life before Christ is one dominated by the world, the flesh, and the devil. That's all here. Number one, apart from Christ and before salvation, you and I live our lives and conduct our lives according to the world order. Look at verse 2. In which you once walked, that is your trespasses and your sins, according to the course of this world. Now, when we speak about world, we're not talking about the planet. We're not talking about earth. We're not talking about terra firma. We're talking about a philosophy of life, of values that govern this world. Paul tells us that this world, according to Galatians 1, 4, is a present evil 
world age. It's a world in rebellion. And from the moment we're born, we join the crowd in the rebellion. We're carried along according to the course of this world. We adopt its thinking, its values, its ideologies in opposition to God. That's why I like the words of Martin Lloyd-Jones here, speaking of the course of this world. They think as the world thinks. They take their opinions ready-made from their favorite newspaper, whether the left or the right. Their very appearance is controlled by the world and its changing fashions. They all conform. It must be done. They dare not disobey. They're afraid of the consequences. See, when we're born, we're part of the world order that is set up in opposition to God. We're part of the broad road where people are on. We get carried along like a soccer crowd. I remember being at several soccer games, and as you're coming out down some narrow concourse, the crowd just presses in. You almost get lifted off your feet. I'm not sure if you're walking or being carried, but you're carried along by the crowd, and that's the picture. From the moment we're born, we join the crowd, the world in opposition to God. We adopt its values, its thinking, We like its movies. We like its values. We like its ideologies. We like what we're hearing from the godless professor in university. And we get carried along that way until we repent and go in the opposite direction and are made alive. But secondly, we're not only carried along according to the world order. We not only follow the world, we follow the devil. Because Paul describes here, the devil as the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. The devil is the pied piper for sin. Now, we can sin jolly good by ourselves, but he's happy to come along and multiply our efforts. Because, you see, he likes to work in the sons of disobedience because he's disobedient. He's fallen. And he led Adam and Eve into the fall. And he likes to come alongside fallen creatures and lead them into more disobedience. Someone might ask me, do you believe in the devil as a literal figure? I do because number one, the Bible says so. And number two, I've done business with him. We follow the world and we follow the devil. He tempts, he blinds, he leads astray, he imprisons. He's an accelerant when it comes to sin. He's an agitator in the world against God. He stirs up the rebellion. He's the God of this world. And according to 2 Timothy 2.25, he holds people captive by his will. You're listening to Philip DeCourcy with a message titled, A New Beginning, from the brand new series, Total Grace. This is the Bible teaching ministry of Know the Truth, and as Philip delivers these faith-fortifying messages on grace, you'll find each broadcast archived on our website at ktt.org. That way you can listen anytime or download messages to send to a friend. And you can also purchase the series on CD to use for your small group or new believers class. As Philip shared, grace is the central message of the gospel. It's by grace that we have been saved from sin and death through faith in Jesus Christ. But God's extravagant grace doesn't just cover our sins, it covers our lives. And Philip mentioned a book at the top of the broadcast called Grace-Focused Optimism by C.L. Chase. This is a resource that we encourage you to read in tandem with the Total Grace series. And when you support Know the Truth with a generous donation, we'll send the book to you with our thanks. This soul-stirring book invites us to adopt a biblical paradigm shift, helping us to live with the assurance that God is always up to our good. Put this on the top of your reading list for 2019. 
Give a donation and request Grace Focused Optimism when you call 888-644-8811 or go to ktt.org. If you prefer to send a check, write to us at Know the Truth, Post Office Box 30250, Anaheim Hills, California, 92809. Now, with the arrival of the new year, we'd like to hear from you. In fact, we put together a listener survey to learn how Know the Truth has served you and what you benefit from the most. So go to ktt.org and take the KTT listener survey. I'm Wayne Shepherd, inviting you to come back tomorrow for more from our new Total Grace series. We'll be learning to live by God's saving grace Wednesday on Know the Truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. This story is called The Ugly Truth About Timeshare. If you think you've done your family a favor by buying a timeshare, you need my help. Hello, I'm Chuck McDowell, CEO and founder of Wesley Financial Group. Ten years ago, I started helping folks cancel their timeshare contracts, and in the process started what's now called the timeshare cancellation industry. Timeshare is the only thing that you can buy that you can't tell me how much it's going to cost or when it's going to end. When you buy a timeshare, You give them a blank check to fill out any amount they want for annual maintenance and assessment fees. Sound crazy? The crazy thing is, this never ends. Even when you die, your family's now going to be stuck with this burden. Stop the insanity today. Call my office now. I guarantee if we can't cancel your timeshare contract, you'll pay nothing. Call for your free information kit. 800-290-7100. That's 800-290-7100. 800-290-7100. Everybody's making... Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.